Special thanks to our promotional partners at the American Philatelic Society. The APS is the largest stamp collecting organization in the world, supporting collectors of any level worldwide. For more information about membership and APS services, visit stamps.org. Hi, I'm Michael Cortese of Noble Spirit in Pittsfield, New Hampshire, and this is Conversations with Philatelists. Now, a couple weekends back, Charles and I visited Toronto, Canada to go to CAPEX in the North Toronto Stamp Club graciously invited us to speak at their club meeting and, and opened it up to the public. So that's what this week's episode will be is in lieu of a regular guest, we will be airing the conversation that we had with the Toronto Stamp, North Toronto Stamp Club two weekends ago now um, at the KPEX show. Now we talk a lot in this episode about an upcoming Wayne Youngblood episode on, uh, on, forged and, and fake forever stamps coming from uh, China and some other countries. We talk about it because this was recorded two weekends ago. In the future, that episode is already out. If you listen to this and were looking forward to that episode, that was episode 90. Um, please go back in our channel or the audio and visit that episode. We talk uh, very highly about it. We're, we were incredibly excited about it at the time still are. Um, it's a terrific episode on um, just educating people on the dangers of, of buying forever stamps, not on, not directly from USPS or from, uh, you know, dealers who are aware of what's going on. So without further ado, I will um, I'll now press play on the episode that uh, is us talking to the North Toronto Stamp Club. Thank you. Okay, welcome everybody to today's uh, session of the North Toronto Stamp Club. Absolutely. Um, I'm glad to see a good attendance here. It's always good to see a lot of people who are interested in uh, philately. And also we're welcoming Michael and uh, Charles, who are probably known to most of you already from the, the internet. And uh, episode 89 is a Swedish, uh, uh, Swedish tiger. Yeah. Uh, which was a little bit misleading for me because I'm collecting Sweden. I thought, great, look something about Sweden. Nothing, all about US, which I don't collect. But it's an excellent website and also an excellent uh, episode, just as a uh, aside. Anyways, North Toronto Stamp Club uh, exists since 1938, and uh, we meet uh, um, twice a month, now obviously because of COVID there were not many meetings and now the summer we also don't meet anymore. However, if you don't have enough uh, stamps yet, please come on Saturday to our boards at the uh, um, York Minster Baptist Church and uh, there you find more stamps, more dealers and uh, a warm welcome also by our club members. We have still another meeting on the 23rd, that's a little plug for that. Um, here's a little flyer for the boards, and uh, it's also mentioned Canadian uh, stamp news. If you haven't picked up a copy yet, it would be interesting to see that. The other thing for the show, we uh, came up with a, a show cover, which you can purchase $5 a pop. Um, also, there are stamps, I don't see them right now, but uh, stamps specifically issued by the North Toronto Stamp Club. Their value, uh, they are actual stamps. You can, well, domestic, so sorry, can't mail it to the US, you have to put extra money on there. Um, and uh, there's also a, a cancel, special cancellation. 
Uh, with further ado, um, would you like to say a few I'm words? I'm just going to introduce the speakers. We yeah. probably don't need much of an introduction. Um, so, obviously, Charles and Michael uh, probably best known for um, their podcast conversation with Lilas. And I think I first saw both of you as you graduated from the young uh, Philatelist program with the APS. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to them. They'll, they'll talk about themselves and their podcast and then uh, lead into discussion. So thank you both for coming. Thank you. Um, no, thank you very much everyone for getting up early and, and joining us this morning. Uh, Michael and I are very excited to not just be at CAPEX, but to be here um, specifically, uh, we almost ran late. We went to United Bakers. Has anyone been before? Um, whenever I travel, um, my fiance Olivia and I try and look up historic restaurants wherever we go, and we found this bakery from 1912. So we had to um, check that out this morning, and ended up trying to get the bill, uh, and ended up being showered with gifts of pastries and pea soup and, and whatnot. So um, I'm glad we we weren't late. But on the drive over, uh, Michael and I were. Sort of trying to figure out what we were going to say. Michael asked if I had anything prepared, um, which after two years of conversations with philanthropists, he should know uh, that the answer is uh, more often than not no. Um, because what, the, the thing I love most about this podcast and, and Michael and mine's friendship and you know working relationship through CWP is that um, uh, you know Michael, I think you're more the meticulous one who um, you know maybe maybe uh, writes down questions, writes down questions <laughs> and and. Yes, uh, and I'm more the um, the loose cannon, I guess you could say. Uh, but when when we started talking about what we were gonna, you know, discuss this morning with you guys, we figured out, um, you know, we've talked about the history of the podcast a bit, and I figured we'd go over that briefly. Um, I thought it'd be fun for us to ask each other some questions: what our favorite episodes were, um, where we want to take the podcast in the future. We have been on a several month hiatus. Yeah. Um, we both got incredibly busy with work and life for the first part of this year, and. Um, had to had to sit at the last about two months of the podcast, but now we're back. We've done two episodes since our I sort of viewed as our second season okay. um, since we came back. Um, we've got a new episode coming out Monday. We're filming this. This will become an episode um, in in just a couple of weeks. But um, I figured from there we would just sort of turn it over to audience questions. I see at least two gentlemen who have been on conversations with philanthropists in the audience. Um, but it would be uh, it would be a lot of fun just to open it up, um, you know, uh, make it more of a discussion, make it a real conversation with philatelists rather than us getting up here and, uh, and and just talking at you guys. So that's sort of how I uh, envision it going, Michael. Do you want to sort of give your side of the origin, since it is entirely your idea, this podcast, yeah. and I'm just along for the ride? Why don't you um, sort of describe how it all came together and, and why we're here? Yeah. So it started back in June, right? Of 20, Towards the start of the pandemic. 2020, yeah, I had this idea that I was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time, and I think we'd only spoken in person three or four times yeah. before, so I thought... Yeah, we were both, as, as was mentioned, we were both graduates of the Young Philatelic Leaders Fellowship yeah, yeah. Um, through the American Philatelic Society. So we, we'd cross paths in Monaco, and mm -hmm. um, you'd come by my office for lunch with, with Kaylee, your wife. Yeah. And so we knew each other, but, um, you know, we're not... Um, uh, we're not talking on a regular basis, I would say. Yeah. And I was driving to look at Pope Pius XII's stamp collection, uh, which was kind of a, a weird thing that came up that ultimately didn't end up working out for consignment. But I was stuck on the Long Island Expressway. Yeah. Uh, and you just randomly called me and 
and said, do you want to start talking to the people that we don't get to talk to because we're not getting to go to any shows anymore? You know, some of the most exciting parts of, of being a philatelist or a, a dealer is attending the shows, talking to people that I've met, never met, meeting with some of the dealers, and it was, uh, you know, we were, we, were, we weren't getting to... No, we were both keeping plenty busy with work. There was no shortage of material to describe or auctions to hold or, you know, uh, listings online. But I, I think that social component, this, I mean, just being in a room full of people or sitting in a booth and getting to, not for us, uh, <laughs> getting to shake people's hands and, and see people face to face is one thing we were both missing. Again, we, yeah. we had the stamps, we had the research, we had tons of stuff to do. It wasn't, you know, boredom. It was really a lack of, of interaction. And, and instead of getting to see people at the APS show, at NAPEX, at WESPEX, it was let's hop on Zoom with them. Yeah, it started pretty innocently like that. We just wanted to talk to people. But I think as we put out more and more episodes, something happened that we didn't really expect is that people would email us and say, I've never met this person before. I've never bought from this dealer or I've never met this collector, but I feel a sense of connection with them because of the questions you asked. I got to know them better as a person and they felt more uh, able to, to email them, buy from them or, or email them and chat about their collections. People connected with people they weren't initially friends with at least. So. The other thing that happened that I didn't really expect is we called it conversations with philatelists. Yeah. And we both had an idea in our minds, these are the exhibitors, these are the dealers, these are the, you know, Scott English from the APS and Danny Geyer from the um, ASDA. I think we had an image in our mind that it was going to be philatelists in the strict sense of the term people we would see at a show like this. And very quickly it became conversations with people who maybe are tangentially related to philately, but are no less interesting and no less deserving of having their stories told. So we started talking to college professors who use the mail in their research. We started talking to uh, you know, representatives from the United States Postal Service. We started talking to people who maybe um, uh, use stamps in their life or are related to stamps in their life, um, but aren't necessarily philatelists as many of you in this room are. And I think that was fun that we really got to expand um, the, the definition of what a philatelist was. And we ended up talking to you know, one of the guys from the Doobie Brothers. We ended up talking to politicians. We ended up talking to people who don't go to shows, who maybe don't bid in our auctions or your auctions, um, but they're, they're no less philatelist, I would say. It just sort of took um, a little bit of a, an expansion of the term. I also want to interrupt myself and say that Alex Hyman just stepped into the room. Alex is not only the reason I have a job, and maybe you, I mean, you had your family business, involved, but yeah. exactly. I, Alex uh, is the founder of the Youth Fellowship that we we're both involved in. Uh, he's the reason we we're both standing here. And he's also um, our first CWP guest. Um, when we thought about who we could kick things off with, there was no other thought than Alex. So thank you, Alex, for stopping by. The original, the original guinea pig. You were the guinea pig. <laughs> if it hadn't worked with you, we wouldn't have done it ever again. So um, I just want to, I want to give uh, the, the you know, credit that's, that's due to you for, for um, everything that you've provided, Michael and I. But Absolutely. yeah, again, between the um, helping people break down barriers and make those introductions, and then again, for me, expanding our, our definition of the hobby, I think that um, the podcast really, um, I, I hadn't listened to a podcast before we started doing our thing, so I didn't really know what I was doing or what I was getting into. And very quickly, it became something that I would look forward to every week. Or when we got to do two or three in a week to, you know, maybe we were going on a trip or something, um, it became very exciting for me. Uh, it really became part of my routine. Uh, yeah. It wasn't just something we had to do. It was something um, that I like. We, you know, we talk on the phone all the time. We enjoy um, talking stamps and 
did you see the newest auction? Did you see what's on the Ferjola board or whatnot? And the fact that we get to share that with people and um, sort of have a, a purpose behind our ramblings is yeah. is a lot of fun. No, but touching on you know something you said at the beginning beginning of that the uh, the professor that was one of my favorite things we did because I the professor Dr. Christy Potroff uses um, uses postal history to teach her students the um, American literature and buys non stampless covers and shows them the letters from back then, the early 1800s, that would, would uh, geez, I'm blanking on exactly how. So what, what I think, so what's it, to, to, to us, postal history and yeah. covers and stamps and whatnot, they're uh, an ends in and of themselves. Right. But, but to her, it's a, it's a means to an end, exactly. It's not, you know, the, the um, what's important is not the cover itself. Yeah. It's what that cover conveys. And she would even talk about how um, uh, writers like Washington Irving yeah. would travel on, you know, the, the, the mail was That's carried right. basically privately in the 1830s, 1840s um, by, by private contractors. And these authors would travel on the mail coaches, yeah. sort of shilling their books wherever they went. And, and that was how authors like Washington Irving and James Fenmore Cooper got their start. So there's this great interplay between the, the, the postal routes uh, of, of the early, uh, early to mid 19th century and then again, she's a, a literature teacher. She's yeah. an American history. She was not a philatelist. Not a philatelist at all. Collect, but she was buying these items at auction off eBay to use in her class to, to teach people about history. And this was exactly what a lot of the people said we needed was we need to get philately into schools. We need to get philately into higher education. And this is exactly what she was doing. But it was coming from someone that wasn't even a traditional philatelist. And I, I think those are some of the, the best interviews we've had yeah. in the non-traditional philatelist. So are you brought up Dr. Patroff? Yeah. If I had to put you on the spot and ask okay. you to pick your top three episodes. Yeah. Well, as someone um, raised in New Hampshire, I feel like I just, from the age of two, I, I uh, contractually have to say Sununu would probably be at the, at the top there. And then I, I had a, a tremendous time. I always bring up Cheryl again, Dr. Yeah. Cheryl Counts. Um, so do you want to explain because we're so in, we're, in a, we're in a foreign country. Oh, fair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, the the New Hampshire um, uh, New Hampshire has this large political family. The the Sununus, John Sununu, John H, John E, and then Chris Sununu have all been governors, senators, and congressmen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's sort of like a small scale Bush yeah. or Clinton family where yeah. there's just this political dynasty in New Hampshire that's yeah. always. So yeah. John H Sununu was. Um, to George H. W. Bush, first uh, President Bush's chief of staff. Yeah, um, and then his son was senator. Senator, and then eight. I don't know how many years. Yeah. I think six years. Six years. And then his brother, the other son, yes, Chris is senator, was senator right now. He's governor right now. Governor right now. I'm not even from New Hampshire. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but the, the Sununu, uh, yeah, I don't I don't have as much of a uh, direct uh, you know, but. Growing up, with it, 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 I was going to say I've got my own California politicians yeah. who are ubiquitous. Growing up, um, so so you reached out to them, sort of. I didn't even know they collected. So yeah. I was down at the Spelman Museum and talking to the uh, the executive director there, Joe Mullen, and he was he mentioned to me that the Sununu family collected stamps. That John H. and Johnny Sununu collected stamps. On a whim, I thought I'd just check our customers. This, this is the best part of it. Yeah. You went into your um, eBay records yeah. to see if they'd ever bought from you. And there were their purchases and their email address and their address. So I sent them an email. 
And so if you said, ever buy from Noble Spirit, you may be asked yeah. to come on the podcast. Well, no, you're not that's safe. How we get a, that's how you got Carl Rove. That is, that is also how we got Carl Rove to appear. He bid in one of our auctions and used a, a personal email address to register. So yeah. um, no, and, and so we wanted to talk to the Sununus on, on Zoom. Zoom, like yeah. we talked to most everyone on Zoom. Yeah. And they said no. They denied that request. They did. They said, well, we won't talk to you unless you come down to our house and view our stamp collection. We'll both be there. And they set it up. It was It was... <clears throat> It was a surreal experience. Yeah, they've got um, this great hobby room in their house because they don't just do stamps; they do baseball cards, yeah. they do autographs, autographs. Um, basically everything that President Bush gave him. Yeah. Or basically everything he could take from the White House, it seemed, um, uh, was all over the. It, it, this great hobby room of just Americana and memorabilia and just yeah. wonderful, wonderful stuff. And it is fun to sit across the computer screen from people. Yeah. But even more fun to be in a room with people where they can. Show you that it's this multi generational collection where everything has to do with a family member who uh, lived in British Palestine yeah. or a family member who came from Cuba. And every aspect of their collection ties into their family history. Um, and and it, it, additionally, it's a very nice collection. They've yeah. put a lot of time and effort into um, growing these collections. It's not a, a haphazard little oh, no. uh, project, it's yeah. something that they take a lot of pride in. And um, getting it, I, so I, I agree that Snuna was certainly that one was of the. Probably the the one that meant the most to me specifically because I've grown up seeing her ads on television and, and, and here we are in her house. Yeah. So, yeah. And then you mentioned uh, Cheryl Gans, yeah. who uh, I don't. I saw her the last couple of days. She may still be here today. Yeah. Um, she was one of the first people to take me under her wing when I met her at APS 2014 in Hartford. Um, uh, she and I collect similar eras. Our, our collecting interests overlap a bit. Um, and, and since then, she's become a very close friend and a, a colleague and a mentor mm -hmm. uh, who I respect very much. And, and her episode, I, I thought, was fantastic because she wanted to uh, share items from her collection. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think she was the first person to screen share with us, which being new to Zoom after. Oh, sorry. Well, continue. I was just wanted to know what, which Doobie brother you know. Pat Simmons. <laughs> Pat Simmons, yep. I'll, I'll be one of mine that I yeah. touch on in yeah. a second. So. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, she was one of the first people to screen share. We were new to Zoom, new to podcasting, new to all that kind of stuff. So we didn't even really know you could screen share until she said, can I share a couple of my items? And I thought, wow, how's that going to work? And I Googled it. And I said, there's a, there's a feature in there that does we're the We're the oldest <laughs> millennials ever. In yeah. yeah. Uh, so if we can't figure out to Zoom, I don't yeah. can. Since then, we've, we've had a number of people share their collections with us. But um, no, it, it was. It was how she spoke about her time at the Smithsonian and how we need to bring new members into the hobby. And, and the, the sentence she said where, you know, if we, if we spend time talking to just collectors, we're not going to grow the hobby. We need to talk to people who are interested in history. We need to talk to people who are interested in other aspects that are, like you said, tangentially related to philately. And that kind of just resonated with me and what we've been trying to kind of hit, hit going forward is find these people who who are involved in the hobby but then try to find an equal amount of people who use the hobby in their daily lives, like Cameron, Cameron Blevins, who wrote yep. that book. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about the Doobie Brothers for a second. Pat Simmons, uh, my father is an author. He writes autobiographies <laughs> with people. He's sort of the ghostwriter behind the scenes. Um, and one of the books he's been working on that was just released or is just about to be released is uh, sort of an oral history of the Doobie Brothers told through the various band members. Um, and, and my father was talking to, to Pat at one point um, 
and Pat asked what his son did for a living, and he was, oh, he runs an auction house that sells postage stamps, and Pat perks up and says, I'm a stamp collector. And my father, you know, isn't used to hearing that from rock stars, especially, let alone, you know, everyday people, and started talking, and, you know, Pat, um, uh, maybe not a, a uh, classically trained philatelist, uh, but certainly has the passion and the desire and the bug that we all have, yeah. and uh, was more than happy to hop on Zoom with us and, and talk, and my favorite story that he told uh, you'd have to listen to the episode for the details, because I just remember the, the, the basics, but he was in the Soviet Union oh, yeah. um, on tour with, with the Doobie Brothers in the 80s, and there was a sort of black market where you could buy illicit goods, um, including postage stamps from Poland and Soviet Union and other Eastern Bloc countries. So Pat finds out that there's a, an illegal postage stamp dealer, uh, and there's like a tent, and they whisk Pat under the tent, and he's looking at all the, and it's the Polish and Romanian stamps in the 70s and 80s with cats and spaceships on them and everything, and uh, he, he totally made it sound like a drug deal where he's, you know, bartering with the guy for these Eastern Bloc stamps and everything. Um, and the fact that somebody, you know, on tour with one of the biggest rock bands in the world would take time out of his day to go to a... He hit him in his jacket. He, did, he, he hit him in his jacket to, to smuggle them out of yeah. the Soviet <laughs> Union. And he still has them to this day. The fact that he would take time out of their touring schedule to uh, smuggle postage stamps out of the country. Uh, again, he, even if he's not, um, you know, uh, putting together an exhibit at a show like this, he's got the same, you know, bug that the rest of us have. And um, it, it really shows, you know, it doesn't matter what walk of life you're in, what job you have, what, you know, if, if you're on stage playing to tens of thousands of people, you still might be um, uh, one of us. Thank you very much. Who is he? Pat is, um, he's the guitar player who, um, uh, he's sort of the, the, I'm trying to think of what he sings, because I'm blanking. Mm -hmm. um, Tom Johnson is the one who sings most of the hits, Long Train Running and songs like that. Um, Pat wrote Black Water, I know, is, uh, is, is sort of his, his hit, but they're the two original members. The rest of the band has been a bit of a revolving door, and, and he's one of the two founders from way back when in, in Northern California. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. He, he zoomed us from Hawaii. He was, in, he was at his house in Hawaii. He was on an iPad, yeah. uh, not, the, not the best Wi-Fi, but we made it work, and it was a lot of fun. So. No, it was a lot of fun to talk to him, and his, he started uh, topically collecting motorcycles. Yes, because he also restores vintage motorcycles. He's yeah. sort of a, a jack of all trades. He, yeah. He's a, a real renaissance man. He collects motorcycles on stamps yeah. uh, to uh, sort of um, uh, augment his real life motorcycle collection. Yeah. So he goes to Sturgis and everything and is a, a, a really fascinating character who finds time for postage stamps even in his rock star lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, any others that jump out at you? Um, there's been a yeah, lot. We've, to, yeah, we've, been, we've, been, we've been doing it two years now. Yeah. Uh, we, we hadn't really missed a week until fairly recently. Yeah. Um, there was this, this gap, as I mentioned. Uh, I had auction catalogs to prepare. You've been doing great auction catalogs through eBay. And we both just, we kept, we were talking on the phone daily yeah. in this interim. It wasn't like there was a, you know, it wasn't like the Beatles breaking up or anything. Um, but we, we were still talking, and we, we just kept trying to find time, and Michael would say, what about 1 o'clock Thursday? Yeah. And then 1 o'clock Thursday, I'd be you know, running around trying to pick up a collection or something. But now that we're, now that we're back, we've done, we did an episode with Jay Bagalke from uh, Scott Catalog and, and Lynn Stamp News and Amos Media. Um, we did an episode, as was mentioned, with, with Swedish Tiger, which yeah. is sort of an online virtual U.S. stamp catalog. We have an episode coming up Monday, so yes. two days from now. Yeah. We got a little bit of flack because we did part one of an episode with no part two. I think we gave ourselves a lot of flack on it. We did, actually. 
Um, around the Christmas season, my mother started getting these uh, targeted uh, Instagram ads saying buy US postage stamps at 50% of face value. And something about it wasn't right, the fonts, and it was something that didn't look government approved. Yeah. So my mother screenshots it and sends it to me and says, do you know anything about this? And then we started asking people, we found out that this was going on in Canada as well with Canadian postage stamps being sold at below face value. And then we started poking around on these uh, websites that all were built on the same platforms that had the same broken English yeah. wording on them. And it was a real rabbit hole that we promised we would go down. And we tried. Uh, you and I are not very technical people. Yeah, I think we said we would try to buy some, and then neither of us felt comfortable entering in any information. That is true. I did not want to put my credit card into these websites. Um, so we ended up not yeah. buying any. Um, but we always told ourselves we would revisit this issue of counterfeit postage stamps because it hasn't gone away. Right. Uh, if anything, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. So we sort of phoned a friend. We called up Wayne Youngblood, who has been a guest of ours in the past. I'm sure some of you know Wayne uh, as uh, an expert on United States stamp production. Uh, where he used to go to the BEP a lot. He's, he's really uh, one of the experts on how stamps are produced and what can go wrong and what different tagging methods and different die cuts and all this sort of thing, the roulettes. So we called up where we wrote Wayne and said, Wayne, can you give us an update, sort of the state of the situation? Um, and Wayne was, was kind enough to hop on with us and share a PowerPoint. We love when people share their screen because we get to sit back and I feel like I'm a CWP listener for once <laughs> instead of having to be on the uh, uh, production end of things. And Wayne showed us this great slideshow of the counterfeits versus the uh, genuine stamps. Yeah. In many cases, the counterfeits look better than the genuine stamps these days. It's um, it, it is alarming that the, um, the, the production methods in China are sort of running circles around what yeah. the US Postal Office is capable of. Mm -hmm. um, suggested that it might not just be a grift or a get-rich-quick scheme. There may be more nefarious motives uh, going yeah, on. Some of the numbers he quoted were about 30% of all. Yeah, he's done, he's done, a, he's done a small yeah. sample of incoming mail that he's received, uh, and it is very frightening what he's, and this is not you know mail from philatelists to philatelists. Yeah. This is just the general population and the number of uh, counterfeits proliferating both in the market and in the post itself uh, is not great. So yeah. that episode coming out Monday, I highly recommend. And, and from there, Michael, now that we're back in the swing of things, we've got our auctions. I've got my auction coming up soon. You're yes, always in the middle of stuff. Yeah. But but hopefully this summer we'll be able to catch our breaths a little bit. Um, what do you, where do you want to take things from here? What are your goals for CWP? Well, I I liked the idea that we we talked about privately a little while ago about doing more in person events. Uh, Eric Jackson. I saw Eric Jackson at Apex. He wants us to come down to a shop and yeah. do an episode there. Um, uh, it, Elliot Herber invited us down to the Smithsonian. Yep. Uh, to to film down there. So and there's a couple other dealers, but other organizations that we want to film on location. Do something with the Spellman. Yeah. Um, yeah, as the world opens back it opens back up. It was great at the start of COVID that we could be on Zoom. Yeah. Because that was the only way to talk to people. Uh, but now we can sort of uh, you know everyone's shifting to this hybrid model. We have a camera now. We have a camera now, exactly. Um, and, and and you know shows are shifting to a hybrid model auctions. I feel like the, the stamp hobby went from being more or less purely in person yeah. and then went to being more or less purely digital and now we have to sort of reckon with both of those extremes and figure out what the path forward is and I hope that you know CWP can can um, do our part in, in figuring out what the, the future 
of the hobby is um, by how we uh, you know tackle future interviews. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's that's kind of all we've got prepared. If we want to open it up to, again. I want this to be a conversation. Don't want it to just be Michael and I rambling. You guys get enough of that every Monday morning at nine o'clock or whatever. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll just I'd love to hear some questions. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, I uh, you just said uh, a moment ago that you're looking at hybrid uh, approach to the uh, to what you do. Uh, I'd like to uh, listen to podcasts. And are you thinking about going just voice only, or are you going to keep the, the video part of it as well? Oh, we yeah, we definitely like to keep the video part. Um, but I don't think we'd ever take away the voice because it started as an idea as just audio. I don't watch any podcasts on YouTube myself, but it seemed like when we posted them on YouTube, people liked that. So we didn't want to stop doing that. And we, as people said more and more about why don't you incorporate this, why don't you incorporate that, we thought we'd increase the amount of video podcasts that we do. And then a lot of the times we end up saying, you guys really ought to just watch this one. Yeah. Like the one with Wayne Youngblood, it's really, you really gotta watch it because it's quite alarm alarming. It was a teaching moment for both of us to yeah. see that that, that China is producing these these postage stamps better than the U.S. PS is. So, but in that being said, there's a lot of great. You know, the Collectors Club of New York is, is doing yeah. a lot in that regard. Um, the APS and their stamp chats. There are people producing YouTube videos, and, and one of them is in the back row right now. Yeah, that's um, right there. But but you know, again, there, there's a lot of YouTube only content, and I don't think Michael and I have the production value. Or, nope. uh, or knowledge. You know, if somebody wants to share their screen and we can sit back and enjoy, that's fantastic. Yeah. But I think we will always be predominantly audio. I think yeah. that, um, again, with some exceptions like Wayne Youngblood, where you're missing out on a key visual component, um, the goal is for it to be something you can listen to. My mother takes a morning walk and puts us on every Monday morning, and I would, um, I'd like to keep that to be the, the focus yeah. of the it, show. At least for your mom. At least if for no one else than my yeah. mother. Um, yep. Um. We spoke to one of the oh, we spoke to one of the former keepers of the collection. Yeah, um, John. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so so we we have done we've really not done enough British, I would say. Yeah. Um, we'd love to do more with the Royal. We'd love to do more with the Queen's Collection. We'd love to do more with the Postal Museum. We went, Olivia and I went to the Postal Museum uh, several stamp exes ago. I think that was right before COVID. That's another organization we have to reach out to. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things that um, has been uh, certainly, I would say underrepresented, yeah. uh, given the, the prominent role Britain plays in, in worldwide flatly and uh, some, something specifically regarding the Queen's Collection currently, not just a past keeper, I think is, uh, definitely um, in the cards for the coming month. So yeah, I would love to, be. I mean, even if you and I just took a took a couple of days in London and knocked a bunch of these out, going to the Postal Museum, going to the Royal, doing all this, I think would be uh, a, a worthwhile excursion for us. Yeah. The Grimaldi family in Monaco, they also have a kind of private collection. Uh, I know you've been to Monaco. We have, uh, yeah. yeah no, um, and, and we are going. To, we we should look into what we can do in advance of Monaco because um, it would be great to to or be bad to waste a trip to Monaco and not get an episode. It's not really a waste of a trip. No, it's not a waste of a trip. <laughs> um, getting to the Monaco is a is a treat in and of itself. But if we could get a couple of episodes out of it, yeah, that would be even better. Yeah. Um, so no, well, that, that's definitely again more. You know, we're we're sort of focused on U.S. travel because it's still somewhat new and novel to us after 
after so long. Yeah. Uh, but definitely on the international front, we should we should be doing a lot more as well. Um, and you know, we, we spoke to Patrick Maselis, the president of the Club de Monte Carlo. Mm -hmm. We've had some great international guests. He's um, incredibly accommodating. So. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll certainly um, do what we can before our, our next overseas trips. Yeah. Nick. Tell me about Carl Rove. I think somebody I'd love to talk to. Yeah, so Carl Rove is, is one of these people um, who I feel like, uh, did, did, I'm not sure how relevant he is in Canada. Does everyone know who Carl Rove is? He was the, um, he was the chief of staff. Chief of staff? Yeah. Yep, for um, uh, George Bush II. Yeah. Um, but has since taken on a new life as the go-to um, election forecaster, whenever you need a, a political talking head on the right, he's sort of your go-to. He's ubiquitous on television. You can barely turn on Fox News, I feel, without seeing Carl with his whiteboard talking about something. So growing up, my family are, are news junkies. We were always cycling between, the, the news was constantly on, the television was never off. And of course, Carl's face is on television uh, a lot growing up. Um, and I, I knew he collected stamps. He exhibited at New York 2016, I believe. Mm. He collects Republican campaign political covers from throughout history. He, he, was, he did the Tiffany talk at the He did the Tiffany talk at an ABS dinner, was, I think, a few years before that. Was it a few years I believe so. Okay. But he, so, so he is known to the hobby. He yeah. is known to be a collector. Um, and you, know, you hear a lot of stories about how Maria Sharapova or yeah. these, these celebrities collect. But, but Karl Rove is actually much more serious and studious about it. Um, so he collects, you know, going back to Lincoln and John C. Fremont all the way up through Hayes in the 1870s, um, any campaign cover related to the Republican Party, which is amazing that he can tie his professional life and his work into philately. I think it, you know, it, it, we know doctors who collect medical thematics mm. and things like that. It's, it's great when there can be a connection like that. So Carl was similar to the Sununus. Um, he's been in our auctions before. I figured he was bidding through a secretary or an assistant or something, and I looked at our customer records, and the email was a very personal email. It wasn't like info at carlrove.com or something. Yeah. It was something that, that was uniquely his. And um, uh, on a lark, I just wrote him an email, explained what Michael and I were doing, explained what our jobs were, what our podcast was. Uh, he forwarded it to one of his assistants and said, let's set this up, take care of it as quickly as you can. Uh, within like minutes of sending that email, yeah, yeah, and um, and we it only took about a week or two to schedule. It was all very, all very quick. He was very accommodating. I like to imagine that somebody like that, whose life is spent predicting elections and studying poll numbers and advising politicians, that must get. I don't want to speak for Karl Rove, but that must get old or stressful yeah. fairly quickly. I would need a. Maybe you can speak to that. Um, I would need a break from that. I would need a reprieve. And I, I think that he was probably excited that we were interviewing him. And not once did Clinton or Trump or Biden's name come up. It was purely about his debt collection. Yeah. He was able to strip away all of his, uh, you know, his, his per, uh, work life and, and just be a stamp collector with us. And he actually brought his stamp albums out. Was he was like a kid. He was holding them up, showing us. You know, his favorite covers, and this one has a letter from a Civil War soldier. And it was really fun, no matter where you stand politically, that it's sort of like Pat Sims from the Doobie Brothers. These are such disparate people. These are such, such a random mix of people. And yet we all have this one thing we can rally around, and I think that's really fun. So um, just one last bit of the Karl Rove story that I, I think is, is really amazing. Michael is running for the APS board 
I'm running for the American Philatelic Research Library Board. So uh, about two weeks ago, my colleague Allison gets the mail in the front door, and she says, who do you know in Texas? And I said, I don't know who it could be. It's a little card, a nice stationery. And she hands it to me, and I open it, and it's a, it's a personal handwritten card from Karl Rove. He says, best of luck in your election for the APRL board. I, because you've got at least one vote, and I wish you all the best even though you're running on a post. <laughs> and I just thought for somebody whose entire life has been built around calling elections, you know, predicting elections, polling elections, for him to have taken the time to see uh, that in the American Philatelist and to send me a little handwritten note, I think says a lot about someone's character. So that's the, that's the, re the end of the Carl Rove story thus far, is that uh, he voted for me for the APRL board. So uh, if, if, if no one else votes, maybe I'll have a shot. So uh, any, other, any other questions? You talked a bit about, uh, I think it was Wayne Youngblood yep. doing the counter talk that's yes, forthcoming. Yeah. Uh, if you can't say anything or you want to wait, that's fine. But I wonder if you can add on to those kind of like the various reasons you mentioned that counterfeiting might be happening in the state. Is it convenient reason to uh, uh, start privatize mail delivery in the country, perhaps? So when I when I thought of this issue, I pictured like the guys with the fake Louis Vuitton bags on the streets yeah. of New York. I thought it was just a way to make money, a way to scam people. You sell stamps that are worth 58 cents for 20 cents and you're making decent money. Um, the Wayne, and I, 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 I don't, whatever Wayne said in the episode is what's gospel. But what he alluded to is that there's some thought that these might be uh, state-sponsored Chinese printing houses that are creating these postage stamps to defund the United States Postal Service. So before all of this started, a couple of years, before the proliferation started a couple of years ago, I think he said that the estimate was that every year there's $350 million lost by the post office. I think the post office said. Post office said that themselves. $350 million lost to counterfeiting. And now the fact that the counterfeiting has become so prolific via social media, they're producing stamps within weeks of a stamp's yeah. issuance. Um, that number is almost certainly much higher. And when the Postal Service has been struggling financially uh, as much as they have without the issue of counterfeiting, um, I, I, I really do think that there, I, I think that there's a lot of logic behind that theory. Uh, and there were also a couple of stamps produced by Russia recently, yeah. uh, which also could be a, a, viewed as a, a purely political um, So one of the other things that he talked about is that the initially dating back the forever stamps didn't have any phosphorus tagging on them. So when they go through the, the, the system, they, they might get kicked out. But now, within the past, what did he say, two, three months? Oh yeah, last couple weeks. Yeah, they've started showing up with phosphorus tagging, similar to the tagging that the USPS is giving their own postage stamps, so. And the fact is, the, the phosphorus tagging is detected by a machine, so it's tough enough to detect these things if you're looking at them, but if they can just pass through a machine undetected because they've got the tagging, um, it, it's going to make it even more of an issue. And um, there were some that you threw up there on the screen that I could not tell the difference no. between the, the no, real ones. And he's been making some fun covers where it's got a real one and then a fake tagged one and a fake untagged one. Yeah. And all. As long and he's using legitimate first class postage. He's not. Yeah. Wayne's not defrauding the, the government. <laughs> um, but it, but it did bring up an interesting moral question as well. If a collector wants to buy these, mm -hmm. and if their uh, goal is education and outreach and warning people you know Wayne needs examples of these for his research he needs to know he needs to know your enemy 
Um, but at the same time, Wayne is giving money to potentially a foreign operative. So there's these weird morality issues that arise as well yeah. when dealing with counterfeit stamps. Where, and the, the other thing he said, for most of American history, stamp counterfeiting was always in tandem with another crime. So it would be, you know, uh, creating counterfeit stamps to try and pass something illegal through the mail. But it wasn't the, the goal was not to make money from counterfeiting stamps. That's something that's only really developed in the last couple of years. And you said it was an issue in other countries as well, just not as big of an issue as it seems to be. In no, but it's all States. Canada and Western Europe, yeah, which yeah. again, yeah, tells Great Britain. you, Great Britain, France, Germany, tells you quite a bit about um, what the motives may be, that they're specifically attacking certain economies. It's, I, it's a good one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Um, has, I, I haven't seen many of your podcasts. Have you had any Canadian content in your podcast uh, lineup? Uh, yeah, we spoke with uh, Jesse Robitaille from Canadian Stamp News. So there are two Canadians we've had on yeah. in the room. Yes. Oh, uh, we had Greg as well. Yeah. Well, and Chris Green, so that's three Canadians we've had. I didn't see Chris sneak in the back. So, we've had, so we, we have had Canadian collectors and dealers and publishers. Yeah. Um, we would love to do more. Um, yeah. It's the sort of thing where, again, Michael and I sort of cut our teeth in the uh, American sphere of influence. Uh, so when we are scrambling to get a guest for Monday's episode on Thursday or something, uh, the people we typically call up are Americans who we've known for years. but. Um, you know, sort of uh, piggybacking on the, the London comments is what we'd love to do more. Um, you know, if we could have, we had a representative from the USPS on, a representative from Canada Post would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, more, I, I think we certainly need more um, international representation. Great. Apparently, hmm? one more famous person that I, would, I became aware of is Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones collects stamps because he's an artist and he gets some inspiration. I didn't know. I, I know his art very well. I did not realize he was a collector. Oh, that's art. We've got to set our sights. Maybe for next Monday. <laughs> <laughs> they just kicked well, off yeah, their we'll, tour. We'll try but, that before Monday. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe he's big with uh, Noble Spirit. Uh, I didn't know that, that Ronnie collected. That's, that's one I'll have to look into. Um, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a fun one. Um, any, other, any other questions? I will. I will say thank you on behalf of the club. We do have um, one of our souvenir covers for each of you oh, from the show. Oh, wonderful. Thank a, you. That's our little memento. And then, um, Michael and Charles, we want to give you a certificate to thank you and oh. uh, make you honorary members of the North Toronto Stamp Club. Thank oh. you very much. Thank you. you as a, an attendee, yeah. uh, and the fact that we got an opportunity to do this with you guys. But, and I have to tell you, we started the conversation about this way back in the, in the depths of COVID, and we didn't even know if there really would be a show and whatever, but uh, this has gone on thanks to Dan who started the conversation. So uh, thank you both for coming up, and we really appreciate it. Thank you thank very you. much.